Thank you for downloading or watching our sermon series titled Redeemed in Christ. We are going through the Heidelberg Catechism. The Catechism is written in 1563 using a question-and-answer format. The Catechism's goal is to instruct the Lord's people to understand the Reformed faith by answering common questions from the Scripture. Please join us as we walk through this historic document and ponder the Lord's grace and mercy as we are reminded that we are redeemed in Christ. I mentioned that the Catechism moves to uh, the third section, which is dealing with gratitude. This is basically how we live our lives unto God as a people thankful uh, for our redemption. And it worked out again. I wish I was this competent, but God just tries to make me look good sometimes. That this really works out well with Hebrews 11 and what we covered this morning. That the two uh, sermons really fit well together in terms of bringing forth these fruits of gratitude. And it's important that as we wrestle with this and, and as we think about the identity we have in Christ, that we wonder, you know, if we're really saved by grace, right? We're saved by the grace of God, the Father chooses us, the Son atones for us or makes payment in our place and covers our sins, takes away, uh, we can use the fancy language of expiation, propitiation, atonement, basically means he takes away our sins, pays for our sins, um, and covers our sin ultimately. So when we think about Christ doing this work, we can think, well, if, if these blessings are ours and, and we possess them by faith, it seems that, that the logical uh, direction or the logical conclusion would be, well, who cares? We have the blessings of heaven. We have Christ. Why would we want to live unto our God? Now, I remember some time ago there was a question posed in, in, in an attempt to answer this. Because obviously we, we don't want to say that the law of God has no binding effect on our lives. That, that would be a, a big problem because God's redeemed us to live unto him. And so we don't want to say, well, the law of God has no meaning. And so a question that was posed is, is it better to be an antinomian? That's basically against the law of God, not, not wanting any authority of God's law over our lives. Or is it better to be a legalist, where we basically take the law of God, we, we think about parameters to make it easier to keep the law of God. So we basically go to the two extremes. Is it better to be against the law or is it better to apply the law in such a way uh, that we, we sort of miss Christ and, and we miss the beauty of who he is? Obviously, both issues are, are problematic. You know, and my response is always Paul wrote Galatians and he wrote Corinthians. Uh, Galatians is where Paul goes against those who are legalists, and Corinthians is where he writes a letter against those who are saying there is no law. So for the Apostle Paul, both sides are a problem. So it brings us back then to that issue. If we're saved by the Lord's grace, why would we want to conform to Christ? So this is where I thought Matthew 7, going into the Sermon on the Mount and, and reviewing this, is helpful. And just thinking about this in terms of the two trees, uh, where Christ calls our attention a healthy tree, and he calls our attention an unhealthy tree, and reminds us of who we are. And so let's begin with this reminder that we're called to be a healthy tree. Basically, we're looking at 
verse 18 and answer 86. When we look at answer 86, we're reminded that we are those who are redeemed by Christ's blood. So again, I I think it's important to understand this as a a beginning point. Uh, When the Apostle Paul exhorts us, when Hebrews exhorts us, where do they begin? They begin with saying, you are in Christ. And so that's an important point that, that we see driven home in the New Testament. You are in Christ, therefore live unto Christ. But redemption also communicates to us a legal problem. Because redemption is what would happen if you sell yourself into slavery. This isn't just something you would find in Roman culture. It's also something we find in Israel. Uh, So you sell yourself into slavery. Uh, Most likely uh, you have a debt that's uh, too much for you to bear or too much for you to pay back. So it's easier just to say, I'll sell myself into slavery um, and, and then we'll just call that debt paid. I'll just be a slave the rest of my life. Now, redemption comes along when somebody looks upon you and says, boy, I feel sorry for you. You're in this predicament. Um, they go to the master and say, so, so what's the deficit? What's it going to take to basically settle this person's account so they can be free from their slavery? So they would agree on a number. Somebody would pay the redemption and then you would be freed from slavery. And so the the picture that Catechism's calling to our attention is this is fundamentally why Christ is walking this earth. So we think about this in the context of Sermon on the Mount. Christ is coming into this world, uh, entering history to redeem us from enslavement to sin. I think it's important to, to note that. The Catechism's telling us this. We are redeemed in Christ. Now, what I like about our catechism, I mean, there's a lot I've got to be careful. There's a lot of things I like about our catechism. But in addition to the many things I like about our catechism, uh, the part I like that's driven home in this answer is that he renews us in his image by the power of the Spirit. And this is important. Because I think a lot of times critics of Reformed theology can look at us and say, See, those Reformed people, they just say, well, you're set free from sin. Now you can just live any way you want. Christ becomes sort of indifferent and impersonal. He's in heaven in Reformed theology. And Reformed people just kind of muddle their way through life, eventually arrive at heaven, and then they, they meet their Savior. But that's not at all what we believe. And I think it's important that we, we understand this. We do not see Christ as being distant, Christ being indifferent, and Christ basically giving up on us. I think sometimes we can view Christ as seated in the throne of heaven, sort of watching the clock and and waiting for his next great event where he enters history and he brings history to its end and there's a battle of Armageddon. Now, Now certainly there is a date, there is a time when that will happen, and, and we will visibly manifest it, and it will be glorious. But we also have to understand that Christ is in us in the Spirit, and we are joined to Christ. And so Christ is not indifferent to our suffering. Christ is not indifferent to the things we endure in this life. He is not indifferent uh, to our struggle in sin. Christ knows who we are. Now, when the Apostle Paul assures us that the Spirit intercedes 
on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. It's a reminder that God knows us. In fact, he probably knows the issues in our lives far better than we know ourselves. Progressively prods us. And this is why, again, we pray, Lord, search our hearts. Show me what's wrong. Chip away at those things that are contrary to your will. This is why we pray this. Because the Spirit is at work in our lives. Christ continues to work on us as our great priest. But then the Catechism reminds us that not only is it Christ and the Spirit who are present in us and at work in us, but it's also the reminder that we are thankful to God for his benefits. And so remember when we went through the Canons of Dort, we talked about how we persevere by the preserving power of God. And it's important to understand that. Perseverance is our consciousness. It's, it's our battle against sin. It's our understanding of, I need to put these things to death. And we say, but, but how do I know that I'm going to persevere in my moments of doubt and in my moments of struggle? Because the Lord will preserve his people till the end. And so it, it becomes this, this thing where we're assured that by the grace of God, we will conform, we will be progressively transformed and we will enter his rest. And so that's what the catechism is telling us. It's calling our attention. This, this thankfulness is our conscious um, perseverance. The spirit at work in us is the Lord's preserving us until the end. And so it's not just a, a let go and let God and be indifferent. But it's trusting that the Lord's purpose is going to be fulfilled. It's trusting that as we continue to wage war against the flesh that this battle is a worthwhile battle. It's, it's pursuing God. And so as we uh, look at this and, and we understand this bringing forth these fruits that uh, Christ is telling us, I wanted to put this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount because this is obviously something that's rather humbling. In fact, if you ever feel like you're living a triumphant Christian life, uh, read Matthew 5 through 7. It's rather humbling. It knocks us down quite a few pegs. If we start thinking, I don't really need Christ, read Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, Christ reminds us uh, that we're really not all that righteous and we're not that lovable and we're not that adorable if we really look at ourselves as God sees us. But nevertheless, it's not that this is a hopeless sermon. That's not what I want us to take from this. But Christ knows his people. He knows who we are. So we, we look at verses 1 through 6, and basically, it's a reminder. What, what do we want to do? We want to be critical, right? We, we want to make other people uh, submit to our desires. And, and he presents this rather comical picture, and it's, it's comical until we realize it, it really hits home. But you'll have that imagery of where you got this log in your eye, and you're trying to clean out the speck, and you're going, boy, I could just get that speck out of my neighbor's eye, this stinking log would just get out of my eye and it'd stop headbutting this guy, right? I mean, that's the imagery. And you start cracking up about it until you realize, oh, but that's what we all do. This is where we all struggle. I, I again, remember in seminary, and this, this made me chuckle in a chapel, uh, where our Old Testament professor was talking about how when you can tell when you're moving towards being more of a mature Christian when you start hearing sermons and go, wow, I, I really needed to hear that. I, I really need to grow in these areas. I'm pretty weak. And he goes, that's when you know you're starting to move to maturity. When you're immature, you go, boy, I wish so-and-so would have heard that. 
And the irony was, where did my mind go? Boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that. And then I kind of chuckled, like, I guess I know where I am in the spectrum. Uh, but the reality is, that's what Christ is laying out. That we have this tendency to think we've arrived, we've got it dialed, and everyone else has a problem. And it's a rather humbling thing. It's an invitation for us to say, no, I don't have it dialed. I need to come before Christ. But before we get too discouraged, I love how Christ all of a sudden picks us up a bit, right? So you go to verses 7 through 11. He says, listen, you, you understand you struggle. You understand you have needs. What am I telling you? Seek the kingdom of God. Pursue the Lord, is what the catechism is telling us. And as you pursue the Lord, as you knock on the door, it will be open. The Lord's going to fulfill his purpose. What, what kind of father who's fallen, who struggles, is going to give his child something that's ultimately detrimental and deadly when the child wants food? Well, he's saying even fallen fathers have a, an inkling of provision in what that means. How much more your heavenly father, who dwells in you in the power of his spirit, knows what you need, when you come before him, do you think he's just going to poison you or, or harm you? And so Christ is saying, understand the priorities of your life. Turn unto the Lord. And you, as you ask, you seek, you knock, the Lord hears your prayers. Well, as we go on, we find then now Christ reminds us again. Okay, so beware of the false prophets. Beware of those who teach false things. Uh, understand uh, as we go on in terms of our context with the false prophets and also what's being held out in their message. Well, they're going to lay out for you a very easy uh, following of Christ, right? They're going to tell you everything's fine. You're just going to walk through this uh, wide open gate and, and there's, no really, uh, there's no real call to say, well, you need to bow the knee to Christ. You need to take hold of Christ by faith. You need to take his yoke upon you. You need to discern what's honoring to him and what's not honoring to him. They're going to say, ah, oh, you don't need to hear all that stuff. Here's a simple way. Here's a way you enter into heaven. And Christ is saying, be careful with this. Because as he goes on, verses 21 through 23, you have that scary statement. Get away from me. I never knew you. And so this is where I thought it's helpful to look at verses 15 through 20 as we put these verses in the context. As he starts with this false prophet, right? The false prophet, uh, we talked about this this morning in catechism. The false prophets, their word isn't true. It's not consistent with the word of God. And so Christ is saying, listen, there are those false prophets that are going to uh, teach you things that are not the gospel contrary to the will of God. Be discerning. And so we say, well, well, how do we know? And basically Christ is saying, look at the fruits. Look at the fruits of their disciples. Look at the fruits in their life. And his fruit now analogy that he's using is, is rather brilliant. Uh, because as we think about this, a tree is going to have its roots in the ground, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But the roots are going to get the nourishment. They're going to hold the tree planted in its place. And so when the winds come, that tree will be planted. The firmer the roots, the more planted it is. So Christ is saying, when, when you look at this tree, you also notice that a tree that's healthy, you don't need to dig down and dig up the roots and take a sample, right? He's saying, go look at the leaves, look at the fruit of the tree. If the fruit's bad, well, then it's not a good tree. 
but if the fruits are good, we know that this tree is good. And so what Christ is reminding us is that we don't want to take a tree and, and turn it upside down. In other words, that, that we want to just look at the fruits and be a fruit inspector. We want to look at the fruits and, and ask ourselves, where is this life coming from? Where, where is this life uh, finding its nourishment? Where, where is the ultimate rootedness of this tree? And Christ is saying if the tree is rooted in heaven, rooted in Christ, it's going to have life. It's going to produce these good fruits. Uh, that's the implication of Matthew 5, 17 through 20, with Christ giving us the assurance of why he enters history. Uh, he comes here to fulfill the law of God and to ultimately cultivate life. So now when we talk about this tree, we, we understand that, that the things that come against the tree, he is rather strong warnings. Uh, he speaks of how these false prophets are in sheep's clothing. Uh, but inwardly, they're there trying to destroy these trees. He reminds us that these fruits do not come from things that are not part of this tree. And so Christ is saying, understand, be discerning uh, what it means to be part of this good tree truly rooted in Christ. And so these, these fruits that he's speaking of are these fruits that are produced out of gratitude. As we're rooted into Christ, as we have our life in Christ, we have the health of the tree, and these fruits manifest itself. And so Christ is saying this is obviously what we want when we're discerning uh, whether or not we want to follow uh, this teaching. We think about the Bereans. What, what do they do when the Apostle Paul preaches? They search the Scriptures to see if these things are true. So is the Apostle Paul a false apostle? Is he a true apostle? The Bereans say, let's Look at the prophets. Let's see what they predicted. Let's see how Paul's interpreting the prophets. As we look at Paul's interpretation, go, oh, well, this is what, what Christ has said. This is what the prophets have said. This is consistent. And so this is what Christ is inviting us to do. Look at the fruits. Look at what's going on in terms of, of the kingdom, the manifestation of the teaching. Is it cultivating true life? Is there, are there fruits coming from this? that truly are consistent with who we are in Christ Jesus. That's the call. Now, there's a warning that comes to us against being unhealthy. This obviously isn't something that's always so nice to hear, but the reality is uh, the catechism calls to our attention that there are things uh, we are called to put to death, uh, that, that we need to be aware of these things. And the catechism seems to be taking its list from 1 Corinthians 6, uh, when you look at uh, the order of, of what the catechism is saying. So just kind of walking through this in terms of what the catechism says. So the catechism lays out these sins. No one chaste person uh, will inherit the kingdom of God. The sense of this is, is anything that's impure in terms of who we are in Christ. I mean, this is a pretty uh, general statement in terms of anything that's contrary, any pursuit uh, that competes with Christ or his kingdom. He goes on to say, no idolater. Uh, this is basically trusting in something other than God, uh, whether we're supplementing our faith in Christ or uh, trusting in something other altogether. He says, no adulterer. This is someone who does not desire to express intimacy in the context of a committed marriage uh, between a created man and a woman. 
so obviously this is someone who's trying to be deviant uh, from the created norms of our God. A thief this is one who generally steals, covetous. Uh, this is basically one that doesn't have contentment, uh, not finding contentment in, in the will of God. A drunkard, uh, one who overindulges in alcohol, uh, is basically the force of this. A slanderer, uh, this is, can be translated reviler, a scoffer. Uh, it, it's saying something that's willfully known that's not true uh, with an intention of uh, basically just having a, a malicious claim against someone. A robber, uh, this is like a thief, there's an overlap, but a robber is one who is more overt, taking things by force. Now, if we just read that list and, and think about what it really says, especially when you go through Matthew 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, one could wonder if they're really in the kingdom. Uh, because Christ goes right to the very heart of anything that, that's deviant from God, any desire that's deviant from God is on one level or another committing these sins that are listed. And so I think this is where uh, Calvin's helpful. Where Calvin reminds us that anyone who deliberately and obstinately persists in these sins. Uh, so it's, it's a reminder that if these sins are what characterize us, uh, that if somebody says, well, who's so-and-so? Oh, well, this so-and-so is, is this. And one of these sins would characterize us, that's where we really need to be careful. Uh, it's a call for us to truly struggle. Now, again, the, the level of this, only we know what's truly going on in our lives. And so the catechism is inviting us to look within ourselves and say, are these things ultimately characterizing us? And so the, the Sermon on the Mount is truly uh, inviting us to look within ourselves, to evaluate where we measure up to God's standard, not to how we've redefined it, that, that would be legalism, but how God defines it, how Christ lays it out. And so what is this, uh, this bad tree or this tree that's producing bad fruit? Well, there's a very clear distinction. The good tree produces good fruit. The unhealthy tree, or the diseased tree, produces bad fruit. So Christ is presenting this in rather black and white terms uh, because he's presenting it as the one that's truly a good tree. There, there's never a rotten fruit that's from it. And from the tree that's a bad tree, uh, it's only bad fruit. You're, you're never going to get a, a good piece of fruit from this tree ever. So it's important to understand how Christ himself is laying out these trees, that, that they're in absolute terms. Going on then, then in terms of, of these trees, we, we determine the tree and what it's rooted in by its fruit. So if there's bad fruit, this is an indication that that tree is rotten. So it's not rooted in Christ, looking at the context of the sermon. It's not rooted in Christ at all. It's not rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in something else. But we also find that there's a, a big consequence here. That he says this tree is thrown into the fire. Now, this is also important in terms of giving us some insight into what Christ is telling us. Because we might say, well, that's, that's the obvious thing you do, right? I mean, if you uh, have an orchard of a particular fruit and you have trees that are bad and they're diseased, 
Well, you're going to cut those trees down. You're going to destroy their roots. You're going to destroy their stumps. And you're going to burn the tree. Because you don't want that disease to spread to the other trees, right? So uh, somebody that, that's familiar with an orchard would understand, yeah, this is exactly what you do. You, you throw it into the fire. You make sure that if it's bugs, if it's a disease, that that disease dies in that tree and doesn't spread out to the other trees. And so that's part of the reality of what's going on here. And so we, we can just take this as a literal uh, presentation and just uh, say, well, that, that's all that's in view here. But there's something more. Because when Christ speaks of the fire, this isn't just a reference unique to Christ. John the Baptist has given a similar warning. And this warning goes back to what John the Baptist is saying. This, this is very important to understand the implications of what Christ is saying here. Because you have John in Matthew 3 verse 10, where he says literally, if a tree doesn't produce good fruit, it's thrown into the fire. He's saying you're going to be cut off, you're going to be cut off at the root and thrown into the fire. So when he defines this fire, he says this fire is an eternal, unquenchable fire. So now you, you put this in the context of Matthew 7, and if you just read on, you think, oh my goodness. All of a sudden Christ says, I, I don't know you. you. You get to the final judgment. There you stand before the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, I never knew you. You say, well, how do I know if I'm taking the tree and I'm, I'm planting it upside down so the roots are in the air and I'm just inspecting the fruits uh, to some, with such vigilance that I miss Christ? How, how, how do I know what the proper standard is here? Because clearly in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, I'm not going to fulfill the law perfectly. Christ has to do that. That's why Christ comes. But yet I'm still called to conform to Christ and, and this law is cutting pretty deep to the heart in, in terms of where I struggle. So how do I know if Christ is my Christ? How do I know if, if the fruits that are being produced from my faith are the invisible working of God like we heard this morning? How do I know that? Well, I think this is where it's important to hear the standard from John the Baptist that Christ is building on. What is the fundamental confidence that Israel has? Israel has a confidence that Abraham is their father, they have the prophets. In other words, for Israel, they are only looking on the historic realm. They're saying, I have my covenant identity. I'm grounded in Abraham by my genealogy. He is my father. I'm better than the Gentiles. I have the prophets. That is my tradition. That is my lineage. Therefore, I have the Messiah. See, John the Baptist is giving a warning against us and a warning of only clinging to the covenantal promises and not the substance of the covenant. This is why John's giving a warning. He's saying you need to embrace the Messiah in faith. The Messiah is here. And if you're just going to say, I have Abraham as my father and, and, and the prophets, and you're not looking upon the Messiah, you have nothing. You don't have the Messiah. He's not yours. That's what Christ is getting at here. And so when we take that sermon from John the Baptist with the advent of Christ entering history, the father saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, Christ saying at the beginning of this sermon, 
I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. This is my mission. Now this is how you want to live unto me. This is why I keep saying the roots of the tree have to be in Christ. And so the picture of this tree is still upside down. But what we do as humans in our struggle is we inspect the fruit in such minute detail that we look so much at what we have done that we lose focus of Christ. And so this, this picture that Christ is laying out is sort of a strange picture in my mind. But I think the picture Christ wants us to have is we actually see trees planted in the sky. And, and what I mean by that is the roots are, are reaching into Christ for life, reaching into heaven. And as they reach into heaven, this is where the fruits or the invisible word of God is at work and manifesting itself in our life. And so Christ is certainly asking us, for the good things we see in our life, why do we do them? That's a question Christ really asks. Well, why are we doing them? Are we doing them because we're confident? I do good works, therefore I am going to attain heaven. Well, then you run the risk of what Christ says. Get away from me, I never knew you. Because you're not resting in Christ. Or are you seeing your fruits and saying, no, this is a manifestation of the grace of God. And when I look at my life and what I used to struggle with years ago in my immaturity, I can see how God has led me. By his providence, he has moved me beyond certain things. And now God in his providence continues to prod me and continues to, to work on me and convict me of things. And I want these things to be done and removed. I remember John Murray, or when Strimple went over Murray's uh, view of sanctification. This is really what makes us so challenging in, in terms of these fruits and, and where we can get really tender and worried. Murray said that basically sanctification is a lot like uh, <clears throat> Aristotle's learned ignorance. If you're familiar with what Aristotle says, I'm sure you read Aristotle all the time in your spare time. But anyway, what Aristotle basically says is the more you know about something the more you realize you don't know, right? So you, you learn anything in your field. So the more you learn about stuff in your field, the more you learn, wow, there's a lot more stuff out there I can dig into and learn about. And so you, you actually learn what you don't learn, and, and you learn that you need to learn more. Sanctification's a lot like that. The more we grow in Christ, and the closer we commune with our Savior, the more garbage and junk we see within our lives. And the more stuff we see that needs to be rooted out. And I think that's where getting back to the, the point of what my professor was saying in the class, where I, I saw my immaturity in that moment. But the point he was making is that, that as you grow, you grow in more certainty in what Christ has done. And you also grow in more certainty of where you need to grow individually as one in Christ. And that's what Christ is getting at here. And so it's not, let's take the tree, flip it upside down, bury the top of it, and leave the roots up in the air. That's kind of what we do. But let's see the tree that's planted in heaven, pointing downward with its fruits, manifesting the power of Christ. It simply comes down to this. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it because you just want to look good before man? I'm sure 
for all of us, there's sort of a, a bit of that on, on one level or another. But fundamentally, as you drill down, is it because you understand who you are in Christ? And you know that as you are in Christ, as you conform to his will, you actually enjoy your Savior more. Because God is not giving us his law to deprive us of fun. I mean, certainly it, it convicts us of sin. I'm not denying any of that. But the boundaries of the law of God is not to deprive us of fun. We need to understand our God is our engineer. He's the one who's designed us. He's the one who's built us. He knows the parameters in, in which we function. And when he gives us his law and we start measuring ourselves up by what our Lord is saying, we're called to believe that as we seek to do these things and pursue our God out of gratitude, we enjoy him more. As we live more within his boundaries, we enjoy him more. But this is only done as we are rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. So in conclusion then, when we begin with that question, if we're saved by the Lord's grace, why would we want to obey our Lord? The reason is because we're saved by his grace. And as we're joined to Christ and made alive in his spirit, our Lord's going to continue to prod us. And that's a good thing. And this is why we should be praying, Lord, search our hearts. Show us where we are fallen. Show us where we need to grow. Walk with me through the next chapter of my life. Conform me to your will. That's the assurance that the Lord will do it. But we do this, why? Because Christ has definitively redeemed. Let us not lose sight of that. That's what our catechism is reminding us as it begins with this section of gratitude. That's where Christ begins in the Sermon on the Mount. I've come to redeem. I've come to fulfill. I've come to make alive. Now Christ is saying, let's, let's do the surgery. Let's continue to conform to me. Let's see this as a joy and not a burden. That's what our Lord is inviting us to do, to want to bring forth these fruits of gratitude as we seek and pursue our gracious God. Let us then seek first, consciously, our Lord and his kingdom. And let us trust. It's difficult for us, but as he's our shield and defender, let us trust that he will pave the way for us. He will lead us. He will bring us to where we need to go, and ultimately, he will shepherd us to our heavenly rest. Let us wait upon him and rest in him alone. Amen. Thank you for watching or listening to our podcast. Belgrade URC is a reformed Bible-believing church that seeks to cultivate community around our Savior. If you desire to learn more about Christianity, please join us for worship each Sunday at 10 in the morning or 6 in the evening. You can do this in person or on our live stream. You can also utilize our archive sermon series on our website, urcbelgrade.com, or subscribe to our current sermon series through most common podcatchers. Until we meet again, may the Lord's blessing and peace be upon you. Thank you.